welcome to the Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Kuttner, and I'm so glad you're here. This podcast will help you find ways to live a more authentic life. Every week, I have guests on the show from yoga teachers to meditation instructors, everyone to help you feel like the best you. I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you enjoy this episode. show I have Brendan Gibbons. He's a yoga teacher. He also owns a studio in Hoboken called Urban Souls. I really love Brendan's story about how he got into yoga. So I'll let him tell you a little bit about his personal journey when it comes to yoga. Yeah, well, it goes back uh, quite a few years. Started doing uh, yoga in 2001. Actually, uh, I'm not really sure was yoga the first place I went to. It's kind of funny. The the place I went for the first few months, or <laughs> I'm going to air it out here, but they, I, they're actually on a cult watch. Yeah. So I didn't realize that yoga wasn't done in like white martial art get up. And you know, <laughs> so the first couple of months uh, I was doing this practice, which was actually mostly Qigong type of practice, the physical part of it. And there was some other elements to it that uh, they did try to put in some weird seeds about, you know, breaking you away from your family ties and things. And I very quickly realized, I'm like, this just can't be what people were talking about. <laughs> so I was a little disheartened for about six months, but I really wanted to find out, you know, more about yoga. And um, I actually uh, happened upon um, Devotion Yoga uh, in Hoboken. They were it was the first yoga studio in Hoboken. And 15 years later, we'll get to that part of the story. I was a partner uh, in that studio. So first place I took a real yoga class was in Hoboken, New Jersey. And uh, I was pretty much in love with it right from the beginning. I just loved the way I felt. My, my body felt good. My mind felt clear. And I really, I, I knew there was something there for me. Um, and I wanted to dive in a lot. And it's kind of my personality is to go in at first, learn all you can about something, even, you know, even to the detriment sometimes of maybe going a little too head first and joining a cult. <laughs> but uh, in 2000, uh, so I was a school teacher at the time. I, uh, I got my master's in education at Seton Hall. I was teaching fourth, fifth, and sixth grade uh, math and social studies. And I really loved it. I, I would say I was passionate about it and it was uh, an amazing thing, but I knew that I really wanted to explore uh, even deeper into the yoga world. Um, and I felt something calling me in that direction. So after six years of teaching, I decided to, uh, this is 2007 now, I uh, decided to do a little backpacking trip uh, to India and Nepal and uh, ended up going to Thailand as well. But I spent about a month in India and two months in Nepal. Um, focusing on yoga and I was volunteering at an orphanage in Nepal and um, it was an amazing trip and then uh, I went to Thailand and did an intensive uh, intensive yoga training for about a month it wasn't a teacher training it was just uh, about six hours a day of uh, practice and just kept feeling better and better and like really just wanted to immerse I wanted my whole life to revolve around yoga and have it in it in one way or another all the time um, so I immediately came, when I came home, with, with, 
not even enough money for uh, teacher training. Uh, I actually had to get a scholarship to Yoga Works, uh, so I did some extra work for them, and I got a 50% scholarship and put that right into the teacher training. And um, yeah, that started a journey in 2008 of teaching and also running yoga studios. So partially out of financial need, but also just wanted to be around the yoga community. I uh, took a job with Yoga Works, just starting behind their desk, and then. Uh, selling memberships for them, then running studios, and eventually I was opening studios uh, around the country in New York and LA after working for them for about six years. And then uh, I guess uh, after about six years, I wanted to do my own thing in a yoga studio, and um, I left Yoga Works. I started consulting for a couple of studios, and uh, I was consulting for Devotion, the place I'd taken the first class. And Everything seemed to line up really well there. So I, I took a partnership in, uh, in that studio and that lasted for a couple of years. My things didn't go great with my partner at the time. Um, we had some differences. So um, I decided to leave that, went back to consulting. And uh, about a year and a half ago, we opened, Karen, my business partner and I opened Urban Souls, which has been everything I wanted in a studio. It, the Devotion was great, uh, but it was someone's, someone else's baby. And it's hard to come in when you want to do so much and, you know, have it be so many things already in place. So this was our baby and we were able to bring it up from, you know, the first, you know, the first meeting, great ideas, and then a lot of hard work. And so, yeah, that's how I got to owning Urban Souls. And I teach uh, the last Four or five years, I've been teaching anywhere from 10 to 20 classes, including privates and meditation classes a week. So that's, yeah, I've made my life pretty much all, all yoga. That's awesome. That was your intention. So you definitely fulfilled it. That's always good to hear when, you know, you take a chance on something that feels really good and you just follow it and you work hard and then it does come to fruition. That's one of the things that I kind of like about yoga and spirituality is um, how it gives you this ownership of your life and it teaches you some interesting things along the way. Like it's never just the poses, right? So I actually want to hear, um, you know, some of the lessons you've learned from practicing yoga so diligently for so long. I know there's probably a ton, but if you could pinpoint maybe some of your favorite lessons that you've learned just from practicing so yeah and you use the word diligently and it's an important word in yoga because there are, you know there are times ups and downs and there are times where i'm practicing diligently and there are times where i haven't been in the past but uh it's always in those diligent times that you know the the things beyond just the physical poses really open up and when you have consistency in your practice and you show up even for small amounts of time each day, it's exponential growth. It's not just like adding a day onto it. It's an, it's an exponential snowball. So, you know, that is certainly one of the, the, the best lessons I've learned is to, no matter what, make a little space for it. Even if it's five minutes rolling out of your bed and, you know, just dropping into what you're feeling, even if you're not feeling great that day, that can be okay. That can be part of the practice say well this doesn't feel awesome today but i'm getting in touch with that and and it informs the rest of your day it informs the choices you make um, but when you start to lose touch with it the impact and what you're learning it uh it lessens over time so um, a diligent and uh, consistent practice to me is 
probably the most uh, important thing in the practice. I agree with that. I think, um, you know, it helps to stay connected to it by your movement, your breath, your meditation, whatever piece of yoga resonates with you. You have to constantly show up. Otherwise you do lose touch with it because it's it's like this magical practice. But if you stop practicing, then then you start to like get closed off, right? Like the same way, like your hips will get tight. Your your mind will also close in some ways too. So mind gets tight. It's a it's a metaphor, uh, you know, the using a the body metaphor for the mind. But you can feel that. Like we know when we have this sort of tension, and we're not allowing energy and mental energy to flow through us. We're sort of closing it off, either around worry or fear or just oh, I don't feel good. I didn't practice yesterday. Uh, drank too much last night. Uh, and so we we hold all this judgment and we hold and we tighten things up so our mind can be tight our emotions can be tight our energy can be tight our physical body can be tight and they all in, interact with each other body's tight our mind just is and vice versa so i love piecing together the mind work with the body work because you know it, it's so connected and i do feel like some people see it as separate so I'm wondering, you know, for your yoga journey, like what specific transformations did you see after practicing um, either in your mind or in any type of healing? I'm just kind of curious what type of experience you've had. I'd say the most powerful of uh, those experiences after doing a, a 10-day Vipassana training, um, for people who don't know what that is, it's a 10-day silent meditation training. And uh, they're held in centers all over the world. I wanted to go somewhere to do it. So I went to Indonesia, but you could do it as close as Massachusetts, the exact same one. It's actually a videotape. The the guy who created it passed 20 or 30 years ago. So you get the exact same experience wherever you go pretty much in in the world. And it's about uh, 10 and a half hours of seated meditation a day. And you're really sitting through, they, they don't give you any specific breath tempo. There is a method to the meditation, but it's just simply scanning your body over and over and over and over. And you start to really sit through very uncomfortable things in the first day, two days, like all of the anxiousness, any impatience, any uncomfortable physical sensations in your back that trigger emotional responses, that trigger mental reactions, they start coming up and that's the whole point is to watch your reactions to these things and just keep saying that's a physical sensation that's a physical sensation and this will change and that's what you're doing everything is changing everything is changing and you're just watching these things and not reacting to them so all of a sudden that stimulus response that stimulus reaction thing that you might you know uh, have some anxiety or something come up that triggers a whole lot more than the sped up heart rate but you feel sped up heart rate and all of a sudden all sorts of things trigger negative emotional responses, negative mental responses, just from the elevated heart rate. And all of a sudden you can sit there and say, there's elevated heart rate. And it doesn't need to carry all these other things. So you start to learn how to respond to stress and rather than even respond to be in stress and to be in our lives, we are choosing to be in stress. We are, unless you're going to be a yogi in the cave. (laughs) separate yourself from the world uh we're choosing the a life of homemakers as the yogis call it or the buddhists call it for us to be in it we're choosing to have to work we're choosing to have to have jobs to be in a relationship 
to maybe have kids, maybe not, but all of those things do create tension and stress in our lives. But to be able to be in stress and not react means you're in stress and you're responding and that's choice. So that we have a choice, even in the craziest of physical sensation, even in challenging moments. So that to me was the biggest lesson. It wasn't about getting out of my stress. It was about how do I live in this world that involves stress and still be able to make choices from who I am, not from the reactionary patterns that are going on from old patterns, from learned patterns, from, you know, from things when I was a kid, from things that you were taught, you know, that things that just instantly trigger you. How can you not be triggered and learn how to respond from a truthful place? Yeah, I love that so much. And it's really interesting because, you know, you're located in Hoboken where pre-COVID, everybody was so scheduled and so stressed out. Like everybody has these, you know, jobs where their life becomes their work in some ways. They're at work for so many hours a day and to help people understand how to deal with stress and know that stress is always going to be there, but it's really about the way you react. So I think that gives people a lot of ownership when you teach them, okay, you know, it's about your reaction and you can choose to pause and you can choose to understand your emotions and have that emotional intelligence. I think that's really key what you said. I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of times people will use yoga to de-stress and that's great. And it's a wonderful way to work with your nervous system. But the idea of trying to eliminate stress is actually going to add stress because there's no way we're going to eliminate it altogether. So we're setting ourselves up for failure. Anytime we feel stressed and all of a sudden we're thinking, well, I failed and there's stress again and I'm anxious and I'm uncomfortable. So we feel like we've set up this boundary. Well, that, that's not good, you know? And then the only time it's good is when I don't feel stressed. So there's a whole lot of life where you're not feeling satisfied or content because you're trying to eliminate something that is actually required to do things in life. Without a little bit of tension, we don't get things done. Without a little, like with, there's too much slack on the line, nothing, nothing happens, we're just floating around. But as you start to create some tension and you have to decide what's healthy tension for you and what's too much and when to let go and when to relieve some of that stress, um, because it is a great stress reliever and you can absolutely, and, and a wonderful tool to, to help your nervous system but more powerful than trying to eliminate stress is how do I live with it and, and respond from, from who I am and knowing who you are and being able to respond truthfully in a moment um, is powerful. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And I love that you keep bringing up the nervous system because I feel like that's a really good topic. Could you break down for everybody what happens to your nervous system when you begin to focus on your breath and um, use your breath to relax your nervous system? I'd love if you could just share a little bit about that. Sure. Um, so uh, I've been really diving lately in the last year into a lot of very uh, fun and some extreme uh, pranayama uh, work. So you can do both. Uh, you can excite your nervous system. You can actually increase the adrenal gland response. You can increase the fight or flight response. And there is actually a time that that's valuable. Our bodies are meant to do that and to produce that. It's just not we're not meant to be in that state all the time. Yep. Um, so it is actually good. And if you're feeling sluggish, there's nothing wrong getting around a Bastrika or Kapalabhati breath that does stimulate that. 
but it should be used kind of like a cup of coffee. You don't want to drink it all day long. You may use it sparingly when, when you need to. But yes, most breaths and most pranayamas that you are doing in a yoga class um, and specific tempos of breath do activate your parasympathetic nervous system. So rather than the adrenals uh, glands producing adrenaline, rather than producing cortisol, um, your body starts to release melatonin, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, um, all the feel-good chemicals, all the good sleep chemicals, um, some chem same chemicals you get when you get a long hug from someone you love or a walk on the beach when you're on vacation. And you can do that as simply by letting your belly rise and fall, rise and fall, super simple breath. But as we, if you look at an infant, they breathe in their belly. They haven't yet, you know, uh, found their way into the world of stress and they're very relaxed. They have a lot of energy um, and good energy, not stressful energy, but you, as you see, as we get older, there's a lot more chest breathing. If you've ever seen someone near the end of their life, it's very trapped up in the chest. So just to the simple process of allowing your belly to relax and just doing a simple balloon in the belly type of breath starts to activate the uh, parasympathetic response. Um, your systems goes to rest and digest all the, the other systems that are working when you're in fight or flight, uh, get a chance to uh, rejuvenate, recuperate, recover. So, and that it's just as simple as it could be a belly breath. There's other tempos to breath, like a four count in a seven count hold, and then a long, slow eight count out. So a longer exhale signals, um, signals your brain to go into rest and digest as well. I personally love um, the difference it makes. I, I think a lot of people aren't aware of how they hold tension and stress and how some simple breathing techniques can really help not only relax your whole body, but also make your mind really calm. So it's nice to just let people know like, hey, you can control the way that you feel based on the way you're breathing. Absolutely. They, they, again, they all play hand in hand and wherever you want to start, like you can want to start with your feelings, working with your feelings that will affect your breath, which will affect the pH levels in your body, which will affect your joint pain, which will affect how much acid you're storing in certain parts of the body. Yeah. And some of the breath uh, things that I'm working right now are, uh, are alkalize your body so that your pH levels get very, um, the opposite of acidic uh, alkaline, which is excellent if you have arthritis, joint pain, um, any inflammatory diseases, some things that like autoimmune stuff is often caused by inflammation and uh, chronic inflammation. So there's so much, you can really become an alchemist um, in your body. I, I'm quoting from Wim Hof, he's uh, a really, really cool Dutch uh, guy. Him and his brother have done amazing things with mm -hmm work but yeah you start to learn how to create chemicals in your body without using modern drugs so it's it's wonderful i love that so much i think what's really interesting about understanding your mind and how it connects your body is just knowing that like you do have a lot of control in your life and i also think that's what yoga teaches you is like you can be an agent for change in your life and I feel like a lot of people, you know, they get stuck and they don't feel like they have control in certain areas when they certainly do. So, you know, what things are you currently, you know, trying to change besides, you know, your, your alkaline state in your body? Is there anything that you're specifically working on through either breath work or your yoga practice? 
You, you brought up an interesting point that you, you feel not having control, um, that some people feel like there isn't control. And, you know, our, our neurological pathways are just that, they're pathways. And any path that you walk over and over and over becomes more of a path. Uh, you do it one time and you just see footsteps. You do it 10 times and all of a sudden it's more of a path. And, you know, the more you do it, why would you go any other way? Why would you walk through the woods, through trees and, and bushes? This is the pathway. Mm. And our, our neurological pathways are exactly that. And the more you respond and react, kind of like I was talking about in the meditation retreat, the more an input, a stimulus happens and you react, that's one more time you walked over that path. And we're doing this unconsciously all day long. You know, a horn honks and we have this reaction. And it gets stronger and stronger. And sometimes you're sticking the middle finger out the window and you're not even like, what am I, I'm a yoga teacher and I'm screaming at somebody on the street, you know? So, but then you start to watch these pathways and through this process of meditation, the actual act of watching it and seeing it starts to give us the control over saying, I'm not gonna let it go that way. I'm gonna choose to respond in a different way. And that's only one time you walk that path. So you have to walk over it so many times to create a new pathway, but the yogis call these the samskaras, the Buddhists call them the sankaras, modern science call us the neurological pathways, and they're, they're all the same thing. Um, but we feel like we don't have control when a path is so ingrained, and we don't see it. We don't even see it. It's happening so fast. The mind is going through so many things that we don't see it as a separate pathway. We just say, well, that's who I am. That's my personality. I'm a negative person. I'm an anxious person. I'm a this person. When that happens, I get pissed, you know? So we, we eventually chalk it up to that's who I am. As you do these, these practices, meditation, yoga, and they're kind of tied in one and the same, but any, any mental practice like that, where you are observing yourself and watching yourself, um, you do start to realize you have control over those reactions and those patterns my advice to people would be, you know, to, to do it on a, on a daily basis, um, to sit for five minutes and, and watch yourself, observe what's happening, you know, observe your reactions, observe how you feel when the room is hot, observe how you feel when you start to breathe. What are those first reactions? You know, is it impatience? Is it boredom? Is it anxiousness? Some people get very anxious, like breath work is supposed to be calming. And then all of a sudden you sit down and you're like, oh my God, there's so much going on in my body and my mind. And it's like a scary landscape at first, but the more you do it, the more that scary landscape becomes a playground. And you're like, all right, what's next? Like what, what else is in there that I can uncover? What else am I holding it onto? What other fears do I have? Even in the wisest of yogis, you know, even in the, you know, we all have a, a fear of death. We all have a, you know, of getting older, our body's aging, like what's you know, happening to my body, this pain, that pain, and it all sort of revolves around our mortality. And, and we hide it in different ways. Some people are thrill seekers saying, you know, some people are, uh, you know, say, oh, I'm not afraid of that. But the, the truth is there is, as far as I know, everybody uh, has some fear of this unknown of getting older and, and, and passing on. And um, that impacts the way we live our life. That impacts the way we exercise. It impacts maybe going uh, too far into that realm, pushing ourselves too far to stay young and to fight against nature. So what else is in there? And that's what I just keep asking myself, like, what else can I 
unpack today. And, you know, some days it's, it's easy to see, oh, I'm just dealing with this ego and judgment of myself and being hypercritical. And uh, you can, you, you see that and you observe that and you don't follow the, the little path of judge, 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 you know, and criticize, criticize, criticize. Like, wait, I don't have to do that. I'm a good person. I love myself. I'm great, you know, and I can go down that pathway too and start to create better habits and patterns and new samskaras, samskaras uh, over time. It's really interesting because I feel like what you keep saying talks about like the programming that we have when we're younger and the neurological pathways that we create. And that's honestly like one of the reasons why we're connected because I was like on this mission to teach kids like, hey, you can calm down your nervous system and you related because you were a teacher for so long. So it's, it's really interesting because all of the things in yoga are just tools. Like you said, like it's tools. It's a way of living. It's a way of thinking. It's a way to help yourself. So that's why it's always really interesting for me to hear how yoga has helped someone by either changing the way they understand things or the way that they move or the way that they breathe. So I, I'm honestly, you know, curious about, you know, you're a kid, you start to like take on these patterns, right? Do you feel like, I mean, you, you clearly said this, but do you feel like yoga has really helped you like break down some of the patterns that weren't serving you? Yes. I mean, it's the, yes, the simple answer is absolutely. And other ones that are still there have less impact. I don't feel like I have to react to them in certain ways. You know, my mom can push my buttons. <laughs> she, she knows the things, my mom knows the things to say that can drive me a little nuts sometimes. So, you know, and there are, there is still that groove, that pattern, you know, and until you reach a, a state of Buddhahood or enlightenment or something like that, we're all going to be in the world. Um, and that's why we have a practice of yoga a practice to help us relieve suffering, but it's, it's, you know, it's suffering less, you know, we still have, we still feel separated. Sometimes we still feel like we're on our own Island. We still feel like we're attached to this. We don't want this. And we have this certain fears. So there is that suffering, but it is a tool to, suffer less and less and to be more happy and to see these childhood patterns um, that may have uh, may have served you at one point they may have kept you safe they may have kept you feeling like this is what i needed to do at eight years old to feel safe in a scary world and that may have served you but that fear 20 years later could be a pattern that's just running in you and with, without a, a practice of looking at it and seeing it and then a practice of not reacting to it and, and it will just continue and it'll actually get worse and worse and worse and to a point where that's where we say, well, that's just who I am. You know, I'm just a fearful person. I don't go out, you know, I, you know, when things get worse and worse and did like full blown phobias and then, you know, things like that. I believe that there are answers to a lot of those things on a on a spirit in a spiritual practice like yoga in a mental and a uh, neurological practice like yoga and meditation i'm sure that some modern science would want to argue with that but my belief and my logic is if you can work with these things on certain levels why couldn't it be on the next level and the next level and you have seen so many uh advancements in working with ptsd and in working with 
things that are really, really intense and very hard to change. But I know I, I, I don't belittle it at all because I, I don't know what that's like. But I can say from what I've done in my life, my logic and my faith would say that you can work with many of these phobias on a spiritual level. And a lot of them have to do with some of those fears. Yeah, I think what's really interesting is that you said you can work with people who have PTSD through yoga because you're essentially, you know, allowing their nervous system to calm down. And when you are, you know, traumatized by something, your whole body goes into that fight or flight and it gets stuck. So it gets stuck in that loop of fight or flight. And that's really a toxic thing for the body because too much adrenaline and too much fight or flight response causes panic. And it's not helpful anymore. It's only helpful in, you know, specific stress situations where our body needs that adrenaline boost and it needs that to survive. But when your brain is constantly, you know, reliving that pattern, you need to understand how to calm down the nervous system and kind of rewire your brain so that you're not constantly in that state. And I think that's one of the reasons why yoga helps for people with PTSD is because of that patterning and the response the body is producing, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, even more, once the nervous system is activated, like you're saying, the parasympathetic nervous system, uh, not the sympathetic, but once you are in a calmer state, you know, in the nervous system, it gives your mind a, a little bit more ability to possibly feel what that feels like on a physical sensation level. All the prickles, all the heat, all the tension, all of those things. And if you cannot react to it one time, then hopefully you can come back to that and do it again. And hopefully you can come back to do that again until this thing, it's probably still going to be there on some level, you know, but it'll be out at, in, out. it's not going to be right on top of you, like in this intense reaction. Um, and you'll see it, you know, and you'll start, it'll start to feel further away from you or more translucent, all metaphors, of course. Um, but like, it's not as, compressing and it's not as like this is all the moment is but you feel that reaction come up and you can then say all right I see you I know that that's I know that that's there and over time it becomes less and less and less of stimulus reaction but you create space in between the stimulus and um, the response and the choice to say okay I can go about my my day a little bit even with those little prickles and even with the the raised heart rate and things like that and eventually over time that hopefully lessens for that person but they have to see it is the point you have to be able to feel it it's not an escape it's not a practice of escaping these things it's actually a process of confronting and seeing and feeling what these things are and how that affects the whole loop of feeling and emotion and mind and choice and action which are all intertwined yeah and and that's why yoga means union right it means the integration it means putting these pieces together and treating them as a whole because they are we were essentially you know we are an integrative system our whole body is integrated and even as people we're so integrated but we get disconnected 
And so to put everything together in a cohesive way, I really think, you know, that's one of the things that yoga brings people. I also love that you keep bringing up like the non-attachment piece, because I feel like that's such a powerful tool too, just to don't attach to your thoughts. Like your thoughts are not necessarily you. There's fluctuations of the mind and don't attach to your identity. It's important to have identity in the world we live in, but it's not it's not all of who you are. So I really like those pieces that you're bringing up. We can enjoy things without attaching to them. We can enjoy a moment. We can enjoy a sunny day without attaching to it. You know, and the moment you do attach to it, you already start suffering the loss of it. You're like, oh, but it's not gonna be sunny forever. <laughs> you know, it's not gonna, it's gonna be raining later. And you start to lose that enjoyment of the moment because you've already attached to this as being good. Um, so anything that we, we attach to creates, starts to create suffering. So to be able to enjoy the moment as, as it is, it's, it's powerful. And maybe you don't enjoy a rainy day so much, but you know, that, and, and that's fine. But the, the moment that you attach to something and cling to it, um, it starts to create an internal battle that is something you can lose. So yeah, that's a really one of the one of the main five obstacles uh, that we have from feeling completely integrated and in union with the moment or the universe, or some people call it God, or you know, the, the universal energy, divine consciousness, whatever you want to uh, feel that as. But the moment we feel separate from that, we begin to suffer. The moment we feel like we're our own isolated island, we begin to suffer. The moment we attach to the, the things in the physical world or the mental world, we start to suffer. And so that, yeah, it is truly an integrative practice that connects us back to um, hopefully to, to God or the universe or to this creative force um, that's organizing everything. Um, and when we feel connected, we're, we're happy and we're in, in we, whatever the moment brings, it brings. I love the present moment. I think that's honestly one of the biggest gems from yoga is just the reminder, like be here now and be in this moment and enjoy this moment because when you're in the moment, you're not suffering as much. You're not worrying about the future. You're not reliving the past. And I think a lot of people suffer from, you know, to-do lists and, and worry and fear when, you know, the present moment that stuff isn't as impactful. Yeah, absolutely. I don't to-do lists. <laughs> <laughs> I don't love hate with them. Yeah, they do serve a purpose, I will say. But also, like, you know, it's about, like, I had um, Chris on the show. He does some mindset coaching, and he was talking about how you just have to make the time. Like, you have to make the time for yourself to be present, and then you have to make the time to be into your work and do the things on your list, you could check them off. Like I love being productive too, who doesn't? But it's also like, I make time to go take a walk and, and that helps me so much. Like I have to do a daily movement practice and it doesn't always have to be yoga. It's just like, I have to take the time to, to take care of myself. Yeah, you know, you, could, you can be present in the to-do list and in the productivity, yeah. but- it's much, much harder to do when you don't have an organized practice helping you to do that. So if I stop and I meditate in the middle of something, I come back to my productivity in such a different way. Mm-hmm. All right, well, if I can get four of these 20 things done, how cool is that? How great is that? And maybe I get the whole list done. 
you know, but it's not like, oh God, I have 20, I have 20 things and I'm working on one, I have 20 things. So they can inform one another, you know, it's, and that's why it's a practice, you know, some people say, you know, yoga is a way of life and it, it could be, but to me, it's more, it's an, it's a practice so that I can be in life. Mm. And, and, you know, I do a yoga practice. I do a meditation practice. I'm not in my to-do list meditating, but I could be in my to-do list being in the moment, but without having the organized practice that very quickly fades away within days. If I haven't meditated for days, I wake up just like anybody else, jump out of bed, you know, go through my emails, start the fight or flight response before I'm even out of bed. And, uh, but if I have the organized practice there, then I can inform moments of being in the moment, even when I'm doing stuff for running the studio, even when I'm in a challenging thing in a relationship or, you know, with the family or anything like that. But when I don't have the anchor of a practice, like saying, I need to set the time. I need to know that I'm going to go for a walk today. I'm going to sit by the river. I'm going to do a meditation practice. I'm going to do a Qigong practice. Uh, I'm going to go for a, a run, you know, maybe with the headphones off. So it's an internal run, you know, something that draws you in. Not everything draws you in, but you know, anything could be good. Any practice that you're doing as a practice to go in and feel what's going on. Yeah. Commit to it. Give yourself the space to do that. And not as a distraction. There is a difference when you're distracted. You could distract yourself in a yoga class. You could distract yourself in a meditation practice, you know, that, but uh, so, so it's not the thing so much as you, like you're saying, take the time, like Chris was saying, take the time and make sure you set it up for yourself. Even if it's five minutes, it will so vastly impact all the other things you do. And hopefully you get to do some of those things in the moment. And then, you know, once it wears off a little bit and you get stressed out and you get that wrong email or text from somebody that, you know, sends you into fight or flight, then you work from that for a little while and that's okay. It's all right. If you're working from adrenaline, we actually get addicted to that. It's funny. Are the one of the worst things for us, is being in constant fight or flight, but adrenaline is an addictive chemical. Yeah. Uh, and so we, over time, people that are like, I gotta be stressed out, I have to do this. It's an actual chemical addiction that until you wake up and get that going, you don't feel right. Yeah. Boost of adrenaline, you're like, oh, there it is. And then we keep that going all day, all day, all day to the expense of our adrenal system and our nervous system and all of our systems really so crazy how stress is so toxic for the body and it's amazing i feel like you said so many great things there like i i personally feel like when you do practice yoga you have more creative energy at least for me personally like if i were to sit down and write something you know right now versus when i would sit down and write after a yoga practice or after working out, I would feel like, first of all, more grounded and second of all, more creative. Like, I do think there's this wonderful, like creative energy that comes when you either have a daily workout practice or you have a daily movement practice because you're literally pumping like blood to your brain. You're keeping everything like healthy and going. So as much as like there's so much wealth in the spiritual experience and the mind experience and all of the good things that come with yoga, there's also just the general well-being that you get from it. Absolutely. One level you're talking about is the blood to the brain, but also the, uh, what is really wonderful what science is working on today and, and mm -hmm. things that, 
practitioners and yogis for thousands of years have felt and known, but that we do have a bioelectric field as well. I, I use the word energy sometimes, and um, but our bioelectricity is it's a simple formula of glucose and oxygen. So the more we breathe, the more we create a bioelectric field, and that bioelectric field is feeding um, our inner systems. Um, the more that that flows, the more that we create a healthy and vital situation for our bodies. And it can go from, you know, we can double that with certain pranayama practice from 110 megahertz to 220 megahertz. And by doubling that, we increase the recovery time. We slow down things that uh, cortisol and other negative chemicals create, speed up the aging process by working with our bioelectric field and knowing how to do that through practices of like qigong, practices of uh, qi meditation, prana meditation, pranayama, um, which is deep breathing work. All of these things have an impact on our bioelectric field. And we can actually overdo that too. You can actually increase that too much and store that and then trap that in certain areas of the body. Um, but when it's, it's in the state of balance, it's flowing. So your people say your energy is flowing they're talking about that bioelectric. Some people feel it as tingles in the bloodstream. You can feel like that magnetic push and pull between your hands after you do things like body tapping, just to sort of shake up areas. You're like, wow, really holding a lot of stress right here. This is like your third chakra, your action chakra. You might be holding a lot of things in here and you start to feel that just by tapping there. You start to bring awareness, you start to bring breath and when your awareness and mind go to an area you start to increase that bioelectric field and once that starts to flow you feel it's creative you feel space you feel like things are lining up mind heart body all starting to flow and line up and you can use that creative space to write or you know the draw or do the things you're talking about you know be creative or be creative about your job come back with a sense of flow and problem solve you know, rather than, you know, you're like one, two solutions when you're in fight or flight, it's fight or flight or hide, you know, and, but when you're not in fight or flight, all of a sudden you're like, yeah, but I can do this, or this is a great idea, or what if I bring this person in, or what, if, so you get all, you get into this, like, very creative solution, problem solving type of mode, um, when your energy is flowing. Sometimes yeah. it's good, you don't want to get back into the problem. <laughs> Sometimes you're like, I don't really want to, like, dial my energy back into it like i feel so good but if you want to use it as a tool to do those kind of things it's fantastic so 10 15 minutes of you know working with your breath working with your energy some body tapping some light spinning of the body and that doesn't have to be a, an hour asana class it could be you know 10 minutes of just twisting the spine all of a sudden you're like wow i just had so much stress and all i've been doing is this you know, just <laughs> for 10 minutes i love like how you keep uh, talking about like opening up and creating space because you know like the chakras it's an energy system and when they're all open and flowing like you do connect and you get like intuitive you know capabilities like that's why the last chakra is the crown chakra where you're able to receive like divine inspiration or divine you know be intuitive I was watching this show a couple days ago and it was saying how like we all have like this power to tap into the divine, but we're so closed off and sometimes things don't flow very easily. So that's, you know, one thing that I see, like, you know, when I do practice yoga, I do feel like my intuition is a lot clearer, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You're going from 
30,000 thoughts in a minute to 10, I don't know what the number is, but you know, the, the idea that the mind is jumping around and that becomes the barrier to, to maybe you do receive some divine intelligence is coming in. I mean, it's always coming in. We're that we're always connected mm -hmm. that we, because the mind is so active, it makes us feel disconnected. You don't ever really get to feel that and process it. So by slowing the mind down from 30,000 to 10,000, hopefully to one thought to one point, like a single point of focus, um, you know, not necessarily no mind, you know, that, that is, uh, I think a hindrance to a lot of people to wanting to meditate. I can't stop my mind. I can't stop my mind. But to give yourself one thing to focus on is so much better than jumping to this thought, jumping to that, jumping to that thought. You never really get to feel that information that's constantly moving through us. It's constantly telling us what to do with our life, rest run, sleep, eat, love, these things, like that's saying, tell, we're constantly getting this information, but we're not able to process it because there are fluctuations of the mind, as they call it in yoga. There's just too many, too many fluctuations. So we're not really connecting to our intuition. We're just in patterns of stimulus reaction, stimulus reaction, boom, 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 all over, especially around here, like you talked about in Hoboken and New York and it's constant stimulus reaction. So you keep talking about, you know, the energy and I know you have a workshop coming up. So I want you to share a little bit about that workshop so people can understand what that is. Yeah, well, uh, it's called The Awesome. A friend of mine named it that actually it was funny. I had uh, friends that were in a band um, and they used, to, they used to crash on my floor. This was probably like 15 years ago. It's when I was into a lot of different Qigong and breathing type of practices uh, at the time. They were out super late the night before and um, sleeping on the couch. It was probably like four and they had to be at a gig and have unload all their stuff by like 5.30. And buddy was super hungover. So I, I, uh, I was like, well, let's try, try a few of these things. And so we did a little twisting. We did some tapping of the body. We did some breathing. And in like 20 minutes, he, he got all the other guys in the band. So you got to do this. This is the awesome. <laughs> and we did it like for the next three days. They loved it. And they just could not believe how quickly it turned around their energy, their bioelectric field. So uh, my friend and I, Lee, have, who is also, uh, he's a shamanic healer. He's been working with Qigong practices for about 12 years. So the two of us have gotten together for the last six months and have been putting together a combination of body tapping, Qigong, light movement, deep, vigorous breath work, uh, holotropic breath work, which really helps to, all, all of these things help to move uh stuck energy helps new you help to create new bioelectric uh energy in your body process old crappy energy which is still energy mm -hmm. stress is still an energy but by knowing how to uh use the different uh the energy centers in traditional chinese medicine there's three one for physical energy one for emotional energy one for mental energy and by knowing how to take all the old stuck physical energy, all the old stuck emotional energy, it turns that back into available, useful energy. And that's where we start to feel that sense of flow and creativity. So between these practices and a, and a meditation and a little sound journey at the end, um, you just get, you're, you're flowing. Your body is just really feeling awesome. Yeah, your, your energy is particularly, but when your energy is flowing, your body responds. So everything starts to, to respond well. 
So yeah, that's uh, the next one we're doing on September 10th. We're going to do it out at the pier again. Um, the last one was uh, the first one was August 20th. That was our our maiden voyage, and uh, it was awesome. Yeah, no, it sounds awesome. <laughs> it has that name for a reason, clearly. Is there anything else you want to let everyone know? Because you have so much knowledge and so much wisdom. So do you want to let people know like where they can find your classes or offerings, like what you're doing? Just let everybody know. Yeah. So uh, Urban Souls Yoga. Um, it's urbansoulsyoga.com. Yeah, I teach, uh, I have uh, four classes a week, but I have a great uh, teachers there, other teachers that teach meditation and yoga classes. Um, we're starting a four-part meditation series uh, from just the ABCs of it, the beginning, how do you sit, you know, what does a daily practice look like, how do you breathe, to second one, be deeper into pranayama, breathwork techniques, so you know, like, what are the tempos that calm you, what are the tempos that speed up your nervous system, when are they useful, and one will be on the neuroscience. One of my uh, other teachers, Leah Healy, is going to do the neuroscience and the uh, what's happening in your brain so you have a better understanding of that. And then uh, the fourth one will be, uh, I'll bring in the five or six different styles that I've incorporated in practice. Uh, I'll give everybody a taste of that. So hopefully by the end, everyone has their own um, profound meditation practice. So they know what they're doing and what works for them because there's so much out there. You could try one thing and and say, oh, it's not for me, but there, you know, maybe you do better with a mantra meditation, repeating a word, maybe you do better with a breath meditation, a Qigong meditation, a mindfulness meditation. So as you start to, you know, feel that out, you'll have your own practice by the end. But yeah, urbansoulsyoga.com's got, uh, you know, all the stuff that we're doing. We're indoor, live stream, outdoor, you know, everyone's got these crazy hybrid models going on so we we do as well so if you want to practice from home jump on with zoom and uh we're there we have a couple community meditations monday and wednesday at 3 p.m too which are free for the community and uh yeah we're still um, it's almost over but we've been doing uh, free classes for healthcare workers um, we're going to continue to do something to support them but since uh, covid started for about uh, six months, um, we've been doing free classes. So if you just reach out to us and say you're a healthcare worker, um, essential worker, we want to help those people out and get help them get through this without being in, I'm sure they've been in constant fight or flight working in hospitals and things like that. So yoga and meditation can really help. Yeah, absolutely. And um, while you were talking about the studio, I was thinking about like how supportive this space really is. I remember when I was there after I took your class, like somebody came in who was going through a really hard time. And like she, she said that she kept like showing up because she felt so loved and so like welcomed and it was really just helping her with the difficult experience. So it just, I, that came to mind because it, it really is such a great space for like all things. Like maybe you want to learn to meditate. Maybe you want to get healthier. Like yoga can give you so much. So yeah we miss we miss the uh community things like the weekend wind down and the workshops where people stay and hang out and can be socialized that's a huge part of it so yeah. we're, we're you know doing what we can and keep it going a little bit on zoom um but 
yeah, we definitely miss being able to do those things because community and connection and it's amazing to see the friendships that have come from the studio in just a year and a half. Like there are people that I know will be friends forever. So that that's that's great. I'm you know I'm, I'm, we're we're finding new ways to to work with what we got you know and then do that. And uh, um, but it's so important to be able to connect to other people. Like we said, every everyone everything it's all connected. So we need to feel that it's like part of our nature. So absolutely. Hey friend, thanks for checking out this episode of the Solutions Podcast. For more episodes just like this, be sure to subscribe. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at Solutions Pod. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check out our next episode.